and welcome to episode 58 of the BM Cast. Not a podcast that hosts a 100 player event with absolutely no mask, vaccine, or common sense requirements, but the show about playing Magic together on a budget. I'm Scott, and I'm once again joined by the self proclaimed budget Emma and Lord of Innistrad himself, Angelo Guerrera, aka the Jess Guy on Twitter. How are you doing today, bud? Good. Uh, so, hello, Scott. Hello, everyone. Uh, nice to be back again. Uh, and I'm doing really well, thanks for asking. Uh, my week was pretty good. Uh, both my girlfriend and my roommate uh, are out of town this week, or, well, this weekend. So I got to spend a lot of quality time with my cat. And that's all I could really ever ask for, so I'm doing great. <laughs> but yeah, in terms of magic, uh, I finally got around to building a Jeskai Blink deck in EDH again. Nice. I've been trying to build this kind of deck in the past, but it never really jived with me for some reason i was trying to build a yorian deck to just try and go blue white and i was like no i really really miss the perforos effects and the impact tremor effects because they really yeah. like help that that style of deck close out games really quickly mm. so i ended up prioritizing those those were like some of the first cards i put in okay. i landed on bruce tarl borish herder and sakashima of a thousand faces to lead the deck and then i also prioritized permanent based flicker as opposed to like ghostly flicker and ephemerate so i'm using cards like uh thassa deep dwelling and teleportation circle and really going ham on permanent based ones and it's been working out really well so far so i'm pretty stoked about it uh hopefully i'll be able to play it soon but enough about that how about you scott how have you been uh i've been good i've been a very busy boy this week um so first of all I got my second COVID shot, so in a Congrats. few days from now, I will be fully set up as both a 5G beacon <laughs> and someone that can actually hang out with their friends again, so that's nice. I've also put out two articles this week. So, in continuation from our episode last week with Commander Sidegrades, I put out an article on five more budget equivalents to expensive staples. I cover classic ones like Cyclonic Rift and Wheel of Fortune, and what I do is I give three replacements for each one. So no matter what function you're looking from mm -hmm. the original staple or what price range you're looking at, there's something there for you. Nice. And the other article this week is actually an opinion piece based on intent in Commander and how it can not only make some of the more infamous parts of the game, like mass land destruction and king making, that kind of thing, uh, can make it into a more enjoyable experience, but also how to just have better games overall. So they're both live on Car Kingdom now. You can pop over there after the show and you can go check those out. And I've also been working very hard on Commander decks for a lot of my downtime this week. I spent a lot of time on one deck in particular, which was my own version of your Exodus deck, <laughs> a, a budget equivalent. We might talk about that at some point in the future. Also, over the weekend, I ended up in like a mini budget brew off with Stephanie at Quad Nines on Twitter, uh, where we brewed up interesting budget Commander decks based on uncommon partner pairings from Commander Legends. I went with Galanra Caller of Wirewood and Elena Kessig Trapper to make like a Gruel Super Stompy. So mm. the idea is you play like huge chonkers with Galanra to draw more cards and then you tap Elena to make enough mana to cast another huge chonker. So uh, I'll include the list in the show notes so you can check it out. But it's a hundred dollar list. So that's that's quite nice and kind of thematic with this with this episode, I think. So we only have one little bit of housekeeping this week. As you can hear, Angelo's here with me again this week. Hi, hello. That is because Emma is still taking a bit of a chill break. She's going to be back next week. We're going to be back to our usual shenanigans. But in the meantime, while Emma's away, 
The ADHD two. boys will play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we've we've already been talking for like an hour and a half before hitting record, so like this is going well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's that. That's a quick little update for you, mm-hmm. Emma. I hope you're enjoying your time off. And if you hear this, hello, and I'm sorry. I guess <laughs> we're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show, and their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. Okay, so before we jump into the main topic of the episode, I have a card of the week this week because, Angelo, you've had a card of the week last week. So my card of the week this week is Suspend from Modern Horizons 2. One blue mana for an instant. Exile target creature and put two time counters on it. If it doesn't have Suspend, it gains Suspend. So at the beginning of its owner's upkeep, they remove a time counter. And when the last is removed, they play it without paying its mana cost. And if it's a creature, it has haste. So this is... A one-mana blue removal spell, which, over the course of a commander game, it's a very long time. It's significantly longer than the likes of Modern, and I think that's why it's not seeing a whole lot of play in Modern. But it's also really not seeing much play in Commander either. People see it as like, oh, but it'll come back eventually. But it's gone for so long. It's gone for two entire turn cycles, which is like roughly eight turns. Mm -hmm. Like, that's an awful long time. It is, so, and and the closest equivalent to suspend in EDH would be like Pongify or Rapid Hybridization, which mm-hmm. are good. Those are great cards that you should be running in your blue decks, but those destroy the creature, and this mm-hmm. exiles it, and yeah, it's temporary, but if someone has a huge threat out, you can go, cool, suspend that. Hey, everyone, in two turns, they're going to get this huge threat back. We might need to deal with them beforehand. Like, so you can use it to yeah. have some kind of political advantage as well, as opposed to simply a removal spell. Yeah, for sure. Just because it doesn't deal with something permanently doesn't mean that it hasn't got other applications, like mm-hmm. you said. So, outside of Commander, there is actually a home for it in Modern. I know Prismatic Ending is sort of taking the spotlight as like the removal spell of choice at the moment. But... I think a lot of combo players aren't looking at the potential for this. So, one blue mana just removes a hate piece or a huge threat for a turn or two, just to give you enough time to go off. Like, that seems like such a low investment. Mm -hmm. It's more than enough time to be able to give yourself a bit of breathing room to set up a combo. Now, I know that, like, everything is very board-heavy at the moment in Modern, Mm -hmm. and... There's not a lot of combo going around, but if anyone's trying to run a combo deck, like I'm trying this in Twiddlestorm and I'm having great success with it out of the sideboard. So highly recommended there. 75 cents. This was showing up in preview season at close to $10. Yep, it was I remember that. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't buy my play set. Same. <laughs> All right. So moving on, the main topic of the episode this week is we're having a commander brew off. So. Yep. We have each brewed, myself and Angelo, have brewed a deck for under $100 for Commander, and we're going to talk about our choices and our reasoning behind our builds, 
the different card inclusions and some niche interactions and that kind of stuff. So if you're not yet on the Patreon, you can jump on over there at patreon.com forward slash the BMcast and you can get access to the show notes, which is going to have a full rundown of everything that we're including in the deck. It's going to have the deck list. It's going to have our reasons for inclusion and everything. So there's like sweet extra little bits that you can get in there as well. So with that out of the way, Angelo, what commander have you chosen and why did you choose them? So I picked Omnath Locus of Creation. So on my Twitter and on the BMcast Discord, Mm -hmm. I posed the question of what deck would people want to see a budget version of? And I got a lot of really, really good suggestions. Hmm. But ones that kept popping up were suggestions for four and five color decks because people often, and also rightly, look at them and say, well, that's going to be pretty pricey. You can't necessarily make these on a budget, which there is an asterisk there. But since I have a four-color Omnath deck, I decided, well, I think I can trim my personal deck down to 100 bucks because I know the deck inside and out, and we can go over it. And so I was able to get this down to, I believe the final price was $99.99. So yes, I, I, I was able to make a four-color deck under 100 bucks, and I'm actually pretty proud of it. I'm looking now, according to Architect, which is where we have the deck stored, mm-hmm. the current cost has actually gone down a little bit. It's now $99.01. Oh so you have goodness. a whole dollar to spare. Gosh, that's so much better than yesterday when I logged back <laughs> on and it was over by $2. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap, now I need to change it before the show tomorrow. <laughs> so, Angelo, what is the main game plan behind Omnath? The way that I built my personal deck and this one is to maximize landfall specifically this isn't a lands deck it's a landfall deck we want at least at least one land entering the battlefield on each of our turns um preferably more but at least one and to facilitate that and and again even in my personal build i forego fetch lands because fetch lands come with a lot of baggage on top of, you know, there are a lot of money in favor of bounce lands, the ones from Ravnica. And so I can play a bounce land and get my landfall trigger, and I can either play it and keep it out if I just want to have that as my land per turn, or just bounce it back to my hand. And if I have ways to play multiple lands per turn, well, the bounce lands do that. You can just play the same bounce land two or three times if you have the means to do it and fulfill all of your uh, landfall requirements. Omnath specifically wants anywhere between one to three lands entering the battlefield each turn, and these really help give you the consistency and the longevity to continue making landfall triggers even late into the game. Yeah, nice. To go with this, there are a lot of really solid budget token makers with landfall, so I've incorporated a bit of a uh, go-wide strategy with the budget list as well. So now, not only are you triggering landfall on other things, but you can go wide and hopefully overwhelm opponents with a board state as well as value. Nice. Yeah, it looks really, really sweet. So, Thank you. tell me, what are some of the best cards in the deck? What are some of the key cards that you want to be playing in every game? 
so I have this bit divided up into two sections. I have best cards from my list that I was able to keep in, and then best cards that I was able to add in on a budget. Uh, some of the best cards that I was actually able to keep, now, and, and hold on to your socks with some of these, I was able to keep in Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, which is a 6-6 <laughs> six, six for 3. On ETB and attack, you draw a card, and you can put a land into play, and you need to sacrifice him unless he escaped. And for green, green, blue, blue, and exiling five cards out of your yard, he can come back into play. And Uro... I don't need to tell everyone, Uro's nuts, Uro's very good, and if you get Uro out and you can keep Uro out, the game kind of shifts from an Omnath deck to an Uro deck because of how powerful Uro is. Uh, He also gains life, totally forgot about that part, but Uro can just take over games, especially when you're putting in bounce lands and just able to churn through landfall triggers with them. I was also able to keep in AC, Tyrant of Gyre Strait which is one of the precon commanders from Commander Legends, uh, a big serpent that uh, for six mana that lets you play an extra land per turn, and whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you can draw a card. It's pretty self-explanatory. The more lands you play, the more cards you draw, the more cards you draw, the more lands you're going to draw into. Uh, I was also able to keep in Avenger of Zendikar, who needs no introduction. Big old seven mana creature that... Gives you plants equal to your land count. And then for each landfall trigger, they all get a counter. The last card that I was really happy that I was able to keep in is uh, Azusa, Lost But Seeking. Uh, Azusa got a reprint relatively recently. And so she's down to 7 bucks, And she's a 1-2 for 3 that lets you play 2 additional lands per turn. And if you have a bounce land with Azusa out... That gives you the requirement for Omnath right there. You can play the same bounce land three times. And so with Omnath, you gain your life, you get your mana, and then you get to deal your damage. That's sweet. With that said, all of those cards are incredibly strong, and I would suggest getting them if you can. But they account for $36 of the $100 budget on their (laughs) own. So if you're looking to strip the deck down a bit more and make it even more affordable... Those are easy cuts if you don't want to spend that kind of money. Uh, With that said, some of the cards that I was able to add are bangers. So the first one is Morag, Fury of Akum. Uh, He's he's a 6-6 Minotaur for 6. Whenever he attacks, attacking creatures get plus 1, plus 0. And his landfall trigger gives you an extra combat. If you're playing multiple lands a turn, you're going to be getting multiple combats. You're going to be getting multiple bonuses on your creature's power. And we're going wide in this deck. So that's great. And he's he's just a beater. You should be able to go off with a bounce land or two. And hopefully kill everyone at the table. Especially when combined with Avenger of Zendikar or Uro or any of these other really good cards. Yeah, and all the other token makers that you have as well. Yeah. yeah, yep, and there, there are a lot of them, and, and I'll go over uh, how many down below, but there are quite a number. Sweet. I've been talking a lot about playing multiple lands per turn, and a lot of the time, those cards end up being pretty pricey. So like Exploration and Burgeoning, both of those I think are like 25 to 30 bucks right now. Yeah. So while the deck was able to keep a couple, I added in some budget options. Sweet. Those would include Kodama of the East Tree... Gretchen Titchwillow, Parcel Beast, 
Giripur Orrery, and Rites of Flourishing. Nice. Each of these, in their own way, allows you to trigger Omnath and your Landfall triggers hmm. multiple times a turn. Again, in their own way. Kodama, if you play a Bounce Land and you have one in hand, you can play the Bounce Land, bounce it back to your hand, play the other one. And now you get both of your Bounce Lands back to your hand, you've gotten multiple Landfall triggers a turn. Uh, Gretchen, you can put mana into her because while we aren't a strict ramp deck, we still want mana sinks. Mm. And she's a great way to do that because you get to draw a card and put a land into play. Same thing with Parcel Beast, Giraper Ori, and Rites of Flourishing just allow you to play extra lands per turn. And while they can provide bonuses to your opponents, hopefully we'll be able to take advantage of them more. If we're playing all of the cards out of our hand, Giraper Ori should be able to draw us three cards. Rites of Flourishing, we really just want the extra card per turn. It doesn't matter if our opponents get extra cards. We should be outpacing them really easily. Yeah. And then, uh, in the last section for this, there are cards that just smooth out the deck. And so we have Maloku of the Clouded Mirror, who's from one of the Kamigawa blocks. Uh, He's a 2-4-4-5. And for a mana, you can bounce a land you control back to your hand and get 1-1 Spirit. Maloku allows you to rebuy your lands late game if you can play multiple lands per turn, Mm. including a bounce land, gets you spirits, and can just ensure that you just never run out of gas. Return of the Wild Speaker is great because it's an anthem that can pump your entire team and we're going wide, so that's really good. Or draw you cards because at baseline, Omnath is a 4-4, so hopefully you'll be guaranteed at least four cards with Return of the Wild Speaker. Multani Yavimaya Avatar is really good because it's a recurrable threat that bounces lands back to your hand if he's in the graveyard. And he also gets bigger with the more lands you play. And like I said, we aren't a strictly ramp deck, but we're going to be playing quite a number of lands. And so having something recursive like that that can go tall instead of going wide and also not take up many card slots in the deck is a really good option, I think, to put in. Yeah. With the number of ways in which you can return lands to your hand and play extra lands per mm-hmm. turn, like the term that comes to mind, and like I mean this in the best possible way, is it really feels like you're literally rearranging the dirt. <laughs> uh, you know, lands, dirt, earth, yep. and so on. You're basically just rearranging the dirt and getting paid off massively for it. Yes. Yeah, this looks so sweet. Thank you. Yeah, so it looks sweet. But how does it run? How does the deck actually function and perform? I think it runs pretty well. And so here here are some numbers from the deck. So there are 12 permanents that can get you extra lands onto the battlefield. These would include Uro, Parcel Beast, Druid Class, etc. We have 13 instants or sorceries that can let you play an extra land or ramp you lands. So like Urban Evolution, Explore, Harrow, etc. 18 ways to accrue card advantage, so drawing more than one card, and that would be AC, Escape to the Wilds, Return of the Wild Speaker, etc. Mm. 10 token makers, 9 of which are repeatable, mm. and then 10 Zendikarizing MDFC lands. <laughs> so, despite all of these frankly incredible numbers that i just gave to you because that mm. all of those sound very attractive those are great numbers yeah the deck can struggle with mana a little bit 
I was able to pack the deck full of power and synergy because I was I, I was able to skimp out on the land base a little bit. So we're a green deck, meaning we can afford to run more basic lands because we can fix our mana better. Mm -hmm. And because of that, the mana base consists of a command tower, the six bounce lands, six temples, and then basics divided up, you know, how, how, however they are. I don't know them off the top of my head, except I think like 10 forests because, you know, green's yeah. important in this deck. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you might need to mulligan until you get a forest and a way to fix your mana. Since this is a four-color deck, this kind of light mana base will put a strain on the deck in the early game. Yeah. But once you're able to smooth yourself out and get yourself going and fix your mana, you're going to be fine late game. You're going to work just as good as any other deck. But your early game might be a bit iffy. Okay. I mean that that makes that makes sense. Like you can't you can't exactly expect it to perform incredibly well in all circumstances with such restrictive costs on so many things and still have it under budget. Like there yeah. is, there is a there is a balance that needs to be made and I think letting the mana base take a bit of a hit in order to keep your powerful mid and late game engines there, mm -hmm. I think is a very smart way to do it because in the early game like everyone can kind of stumble a little bit anyway and like the modal dual face cards and stuff will definitely help you with that yep but yeah once you once you are set up you're going to make up for any mulligans you do make because there's so many cards here that draw cards or will bounce more stuff back to your hand so that you can replay it and like every single thing in this deck for like just looking at the at looking at the whole list here on architect mm -hmm. nearly everything here just has some form of like virtual or actual card advantage on it yep to the point that like you're not going to feel like i said any of those mulligans yeah exactly and this slight blemish on the deck can be fixed with a mix of guild gates or the the various tap lands at common mm. which won't really add anything to the cost of the deck but because we search for a handful of basics and because all of these lands would enter tapped, I didn't want to bog down the mana base too, too much. But mm. if that's something that you, dear listener, would prefer, um, that that is your call to make. I just didn't want to make that call for you. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. One little thing that I have noticed here, actually, is mm -hmm. with your focus on the bounce lands to guarantee additional triggers... Uh, it makes me like the MDFCs even more because mm -hmm. you can just return them late game and have access to more spells from your mana base. Yes. Which is really sick. That just means that like, if you're sitting there for whatever reason, you're low on cards and you top deck a bounce land instead of an actual spell, you can just turn one of your MDFC lands into a spell back into your hand. Mm -hmm. That's so good. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I love bounce lands and commander for being able to do that. But in this deck, it just it's a showcase on how the how the MDFCs really really help. Yeah, I am enamored with the the MDFCs, as mm -hmm. I'm sure I've mentioned here and in my articles and on Twitter and everything else. And in this deck, like you're saying, they pull double duty because now I'm in, I'm not just running 37 lands. Mm -hmm. I'm running basically 47 ways to trigger landfall. That will help me smooth out my game either early when I need lands or late when I need the spells 
or can shift between being a desired spell effect or triggering four different landfall abilities whenever I want. And they, they, they pull so much work on top of using the bounce lands to bounce them back when necessary, just like you said. Yeah, they really are fantastic. I think, yeah, it, the more MDFCs people run in general, the more bounce lands they should consider because they just work so nicely together. Yeah. But now, before we get on to the upgrade section, have you got any niche interactions or sweet little tips or tricks that you have for anyone that's considering this deck? Yes. So there are a couple. The first one is Augmenter Pugilist. So Augmenter Pugilist is an MDFC from Strixhaven. Uh, it doesn't have a land on the back, so it's not as good. But uh, it's a Troll Druid. It's a 3-3 for 3 with Trample. And if you have 8 or more lands, it gets plus 5, plus 5. And, like, cool. It's a beat stick, kind of like Multani. Being able to go tall instead of just wide is nice. But that's not the reason why I have it in the deck. The backside is Echoing Equation. And so that is a 5-mana sorcery where you choose target creature you control. And each other creature you control becomes a copy of that creature until the end of the turn, except the copies that your creatures are becoming aren't legendary if the creature chosen was a legend. The reason why this is important is you can use that on Omnath, and because we're going wide and making tokens, you can then make multiple Omnaths, and if you're able to get up to your three land threshold... Mm-hmm you're able to gain four life from every Omnath, get four mana from every Omnath, and then deal four damage to each player from every Omnath. And so Echoing Equation itself, plus a couple of ways to have multiple lands enter the battlefield, is a win condition, just on its own. Yeah. Also, if you were to target Avenger of Zendikar with this, and then play a land, for example... (laughs) Your your plants would get ginormous if you if you targeted Uro, you would draw ten cards and you could potentially put ten lands into play. And like, it's really good in the deck to just get value, or if you have the setup, you can use it to win the game. Or, it's a three mana eight eight. Yeah. So that it's just a card that I've been impressed with, no matter when I've played it. Mm. Another really sweet card, it's very innocuous, is Mental Journey from Mon Horizons 2. It's a 6-mana instant that says draw 3 cards, and then for 1 and a blue, basic land cycling. Early game, it will get you whatever land you need, because it will uh, color fix for you. Mm -hmm. And then late game, it will refill your hand, because this deck can run out of gas if you don't have consistent ways to draw cards. And so it's everything you want whenever you need it. Yeah, that's really sweet, actually. That's nice. Yeah, again, very impressed when I played it. Mm. Cosima, God of the Voyage, is another really sweet card. She's a god from Kaldheim. Mm -hmm. And so what she says, there's a lot of text, so bear with me. She's a Mm -hmm. 2-4 for 3, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you can exile her. If you do, she gains whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control... If she's exiled, you can put a Voyage counter on her. If you don't, return her to the battlefield with 1-1 counters equal to the amount of Voyage counters on her, Mm -hmm. and you draw that many cards. Yeah, that's gross. Yep. 
And so she also has a backside, the Omen Keel, which is a vehicle, and if you hit your opponent, you exile the top three cards, you can play a land, etc. That's cool, that's nice, but we don't need extra ways to get lands in. That's built into the deck. What we yeah. need is card advantage. And so if we're playing multiple lands a turn, and Cosimo's in exile, she's racking up those voyage counters, and then whenever we choose to have her come back in, you know, she can come back in with five. We'll draw five. She can come back in. I've had her come in with 15 in my uh, my personal deck and just drew 15 cards. I'm like, all right, sick. I'm set for the rest of the game because now she's a huge creature that can start swinging. Or at my upkeep, I can go, all right, Cosima, go back in exile and prep me up for the, you know, for late game. Yeah, really sweet. Yeah. The, the last bit for this deck that I have to say is card advantage is key. If you don't have ways to consistently draw cards, mm -hmm. you're going to run out of cards in hand because you're going to be playing as many lands as you can unless they're bounce lands. And if you're playing your bounce lands, you're not progressing your land base anymore. Yeah. And so you need to find that balance of when to play your actual lands, when to utilize your bounce lands, mm -hmm. and when to draw your cards. If you can't guarantee that you can keep your hand stocked you might need to play a bit more conservatively until you can guarantee it brilliant stuff so angelo very quickly just as a roundup yep. what kind of upgrades would you pop into this deck if you had a few dollars to spare so a uh, few upgrades uh you can if you have the show notes you can go into the architect link i've provided and i have a maybe board on the budget list and so a lot of these cards are listed there, as well as some other ones, so go check those out. But the ones that I would include, just right off the bat, would be Amulet of Vigor, which is one we see in Modern all the time with the Bounce Lands, because it'll come in untapped, and in response to the Bounce Trigger, you can tap them for mana. So now you're going up mana every time you play a Bounce Land. You can add in Burgeoning, Exploration, Oracle of Moldiah and Dryad of the Elysian Grove, which are all good, albeit expensive ways, to play extra lands per turn. You can add in Scoot Swarm, Omnath Locus of the Royal, Tireless Tracker, Tireless Provisioner, and Horn of Greed as additional ways to take advantage of those extra lands. Yeah. And then finally, you can add in the pricier MDFCs to help smooth out the deck, or pricier dual lands like shock lands or even fetches if you want a more consistent mana base nice yeah they're all great choices and yeah it what's cool is that this deck kind of feels like it has a very good power level for mm -hmm. what it is and if you're upgrading you're you're basically just directly increasing the power so yep. If you build a deck like this at the $100 point and you feel it fits well with your pods that you're playing with, you probably don't even need to have upgrades because that's one thing when it comes to, to budget is that a lot of the time budget can be very directly linked to power level in a lot of ways, Yep. but it's very deck dependent. Like all of these things are extremely potent that you've mentioned here, the, all the upgrades, mm -hmm. but may just not be necessary for your playgroup. So, yeah. Yeah, the deck can stand on its own, and it also has a clear way to upgrade and increase its power. It's a solid deck on its own, 
I think it works out really well. But if you want, if your playgroup is more powerful, you you can. I've also linked my personal list. Though that list is also very solid. I played a lot and I win quite a number of games. So if you have more money to spend, there there's an upgraded list if you want to check it out. Yeah, brilliant. All right, so Scott, I did a four color deck, mm-hmm. and what you have here seems to be a monocolor deck. Lelia, <laughs> the Blade Reforged, which I know is one of your favorite decks, uh-huh. and a deck that beat my pants off a couple weeks ago, which you keep, <laughs> you know, mentioning to yeah. me about. Uh, why did you pick her for this brew-off? Okay, well, there's, there's, two, there's two reasons, I mm-hmm. suppose. The one is, the reason I chose this for the brew-off is because this is my actual deck list. This is the list that I run. <laughs> and it's under $100. So what you're telling and, me is you cheated yeah. and I had to work for it and you just pasted your deck list into here. I mean, I also made like two or three other decks this week. I just <laughs> realized... Actually, you know what? No, let's pull the curtain back a little bit, Angela. You asked, you asked me... You asked me... I was I was having a bit of trouble with the Exodus deck, right? And yep. I was looking for help and stuff, and you made memes about it on Twitter, and then also very helpfully helped me. Um, yep. But by the end of it, my, my brain was kind of melted with Exodus because there's so many moving parts. It's yeah, such a is. well-oiled machine of convoluted madness. But like my brain was kind of fried with it, and I'm like, I don't really want to talk about Exodus at this point. And then you made the suggestion... <laughs> Right to pull the curtain back, you made the suggestion. Well, what about your Lelia deck? Like, surely you can like do a couple of cuts here and there or whatever. And we we had a look at the deck, and at the point at that point, it was like hundred and four dollars or something. We checked on yep. Architect, and I was like, well, I've been meaning to make a couple of cuts and changes anyway. So we just sat down and looked at it for a couple of minutes, made the deck better, and then got it under a hundred dollars. So, so <laughs> this is my actual factual deck that yep. both of us have technically worked a little bit on, and. Um, yeah, like you could call it you could call it like technically cheating or whatever, but I have actual hard game evidence that this deck slaps hard. <laughs> you know, like wow. this wasn't this wasn't just play tested a bunch online. This this has actually killed people. So <laughs> So, you can you can take jabs at me for like technically cheating, but like Lelia will come for you, let me tell you. Uh instigating <laughs> isn't as fun when I can get called out on it. <laughs> But, sorry, but yes, go sorry, on. <laughs> sorry, off off topic a little bit. But the reason that I chose this commander in the first place was at the time when the AFR commander precons were coming out, I was tasked by Card Kingdom's editor to do the Planar Portal precon, uh, the upgrade guide for them. And one great card to add to that Prosper list was Lelia the Blade Reforged. And as I was putting it in, I stopped and I was like, it's a legend. So, like, what would a deck look like with her at the helm? And fast forward a couple of weeks, and she's now one of my favorite decks of all time. She's just so, so good. So, it's essentially a Voltron deck. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a Voltron win con most of the time. But it's ultimately a mid-range deck. There's an Mm -hmm. awful lot of card velocity. There's removal. There's card draw. There's a lot of interaction. Mm-hmm. And 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 would you say that this is the main game plan? I would say this is the main game plan. Yes, Got it for sure. Yeah. So the main sort of strategy is kind of exile matters. So there's mm-hmm. an awful lot of ways to exile cards from your library or from your graveyard, and it has an awful lot of graveyard synergy. Which, as a side note, 
mono red decks should make much better use of their graveyards in general. They have so much graveyard value. You know, yep. the, the likes of like Tormenting Voice and Cathartic Reunion, Unexpected Windfall, all those kind of things. Faithless Looting. There's so many good cards with like Flashback or Retrace or other things like this that mono red decks should probably just be using this. It's their form of card advantage and I don't see it used enough. But that to one Agreed. side... This yes, this is a this is a kind of this deck is kind of a masterclass in how to do that with a mono red deck. Mm-hmm. So it uses multiple different forms of exile, like I said, and there's an awful lot of discard and rummage draw to give that velocity because it's not necessarily about cards in hand here where you get your value. Because this almost in a way, if I was to compare how you work with your hand in this deck to another deck, mm-hmm. I would compare it to modern dredge. Because <laughs> oh no, you, do, you don't really you don't really use your hand as much as other decks do because you've got cards in exile, you've got cards in the bin, you've got cards in your hand, you've got cards under other cards that are like being able to be cast until end of turn or played until end of turn, and you have mm-hmm. so many different places where you can put cards to then play mm-hmm. that it it almost feels like dredge in that sense. It's not dredge, but yeah. it's almost like it. Like I said, the likes of Flashback and Encore spells and everything help mitigate the discard, which then also exile themselves from the bin, which then further grows Lelia. So she's ultimately the win condition. But what's great is, and this is the kind of limiter that I've put on the deck, you can make this deck very, very powerful, very, very scary, and it is very strong at the moment, but I've put limiters on it in the sense that I haven't given many ways to make her unblockable Mm -hmm. or unkillable because I want to give my opponents the opportunity to, like, you know, actually interact in combat and, and be able to block and stuff. It, it makes for a better tension in games for me. But if you really wanted to, you could just make it so that she's untouchable. But the great thing with this is that it might seem like a risk if she's the main win condition and I'm not spending enough of my resources protecting her. That seems risky, right? But if you remove her while you are growing her, you've just amassed incredible amount of card advantage yep. that you're way ahead. Even if they killed Lelia, you're way, way, way ahead. Like, you could easily end up with, like, an additional 10 cards, 15 cards, just sitting in other zones being ready to be played. Yeah, in the game that we played, and, again, lately I beat my pants off, like, this <laughs> deck, and that, that was against Exodus, and, and obviously two other decks, but there were times, I think we got rid of Lelia two or three times, but every time we did, I would look over at your board... And I would look over at the cards that you had ready to go the next turn. And I was like, okay, Lelia's gone. So that's like one major threat out of the way. Mm-hmm. But you have three cards in hand. You have five in exile. And you still have a full board. Mm-hmm. And it didn't even matter that we got rid of Lelia. Because you were able to just go, okay, cool. I'll play four spells in a turn. And then on your following turn, play Lelia to then get the engine going again. Like, the engine yeah. never stopped, even though she was dead. It was very yeah. impressive. Yeah, it's it's super, super good. I, I've never come across a mono-red commander or deck that works like the well-oiled machine that this is. It's kind of scary. It has a lot of momentum. Yeah. So, you, you've listed a lot of the uh, key strategies and what you want to do... But what are some of the, specifically the best cards in the deck? Okay, well, in my opinion, hands down, the best card in the deck is a brand new inclusion from Modern Horizons 2, and that's Galvanic Relay. 
So that's two and a red for a sorcery that says, exile the top card of your library. During your next turn, you may play that card. And it has storm. So this isn't a storm deck, right? Mm -hmm. You can cast a few spells in a turn because you have a bit of mana gain and stuff from the likes of Stormkiln Artist and Burgi and that kind of thing. But what you can ultimately do with Galvanic Relay is every single copy of Galvanic Relay triggers Lelia separately, which means that for every copy you get, Lelia gets that little bit bigger. And what you're doing is if you cast three or four spells, let's say you cast four spells in a turn, then you cast Galvanic Relay. You put five counters onto Lelia and you put five cards in exile that are available to you on the following turn, which means that you can go ham on this turn and really go all in. And if things get blown out, you just have a spare hand waiting for you in the next turn. Yep. Like you, you just don't care. Like you can just go to town with all your resources and then just blow it all in the galvanic relay. And then the following turn, everybody has to deal with you again. So that's great. The next card is one of my favorite cards. It's key to the city. So it's two generic mana for an artifact. You can tap and discard a card to have up to one target creature be unblockable until end of turn. And then when key, whenever key to the city becomes untapped, you can pay two. And if you do, you draw a card. So it's a discard outlet. We have loads of flashback and encore spells in the deck. So you can use it to pitch them for value. It makes Lelia unblockable, which like I said, there aren't many ways to do it, but this is one of the best ones. And it also is an additional mana sink for card draw because despite the fact that this has a scarily low land count of 34 lands it floods after a while and like you need stuff to do with your mana and stuff like key to the city untapping it to be able to draw an extra card is just a great little mana sink and we're doing like i said we're doing an awful lot of discarding so bag of holding is actually one of the best 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 cards in the deck yep it's crazy. Like, if you if you cathartic <laughs> reunion, discard two cards, that trigger is... Like, you're going to draw three cards off the cathartic reunion anyway, but each of those two cards that you've discarded get put individually under Bag of Holding. So each one of those is leaving the graveyard and growing Lelia. So cathartic reunion is now discard two cards, put them away to be gotten again later, draw three cards, and grow your commander. Like, it turns these already good cards into absolutely busted cards. So, yeah, yes, that's impressive. It's a reusable loot effect on top of that. You could just tap it and draw, draw and discard. Like, yep. that's also totally fine. And, um, and it will still grow Lelia yes. on top of it, too. 100%. Yeah, it's a great little engine piece by itself. In terms of removal, the best piece in the deck is Chandra's Ignition. It's one of the more pricey cards, it's about <laughs> $5. But being able to essentially, at nearly any time in the game, have. Lelia kill everything except and, herself. And probably everyone. <laughs> yes, yes. It deals an awful lot of damage to everybody as well. It's just, it's by far one of the most powerful removal pieces. And it's also really, really good, particularly in this build where she can't be made unblockable very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great extra bit of reach for when you can't get through in combat. Mm-hmm. And then the final sort of best card, quote unquote, in the deck I put down is Throws of Chaos. Is the four mana sorcery with cascade and retrace. So the spell itself doesn't technically do anything. It just triggers cascade as a repeatable way to use up any of your your lands. So like I said, the card velocity in this is absolutely absurd. You're going to end up with more lands than you know what to do with. So the likes of Throws of Chaos is really, really powerful because not only in the early game can you use it as a way to discard like you can discard it off of say thrill of possibility in order to mitigate the downside of having to discard a card 
and then you have a spout later on to just dump some mana in because if you've got two or three lands in hand from drawing loads of cards mm -hmm. and you have a bunch of mana left and you've nothing to do you could just pitch all those lands and just get a bunch of cascade triggers because cascade also triggers lelia so yep. every single thing in this deck either triggers lelia is absolutely bonkers by itself or most likely both and <laughs> that's what makes this such a scary powerful engine so we just went over some of the best cards in the deck and mm -hmm. i know you covered a lot of ground with all of those <laughs> talking about all the value they provide mm -hmm. how does that play into how the deck runs it's kind of like smooth peanut butter <laughs> so it's tasty it sticks but it's real smooth <laughs> i just came up with that on the spot so like if that yeah. sounds terrible i'm sorry everybody uh, but, <laughs> but it's just it's such a value oriented deck like everything in the deck is a value piece mm -hmm. and that's what i wanted to do i wanted to build a voltron deck like it ultimately is a Voltron deck. It's it's running stuff like Team or Battle Rage and everything to make sure that like she could just punch through and kill someone in one or two combat steps. But I didn't want to build a Voltron deck in the way that a lot of people do, where they heavily protect their commander and they spend a lot of resources in that, because if they're finally dealt with, you've spent so much keeping them around that you now have to recover. And I think that's one of the the pitfalls that a lot of Voltron decks have is they go too all in. Mm. on keeping them alive when it might just be better to accrue card advantage and just replay them again you know and that's what i've done with this when it comes to card velocity it's one of the fastest decks to plow through your library absolutely plow through your library there have been several times where i have nearly decked myself in a game i would get down to like 10 to 15 cards because i've exiled half of it and grown a huge board and i'm at that point, I have to try and figure out like tight lines to make sure that I can actually kill everyone before I kill myself. So, yeah, it's super, super powerful. A lot of the stuff in the deck isn't inherently card advantage, like I said, with the discard, but the incidental value is what makes it all worth it, you know? Mm -hmm. It runs an awful lot of ramp compared to lands. Mm -hmm. So it has like 14 mana generation things so whether that's the likes of Burgi or Stormkiln Artist or Runaway Steamkin which is particularly impressive in this deck mm -hmm. um, or mana rocks like cheap two mana mana rocks um, or things like Goldvein Pick which is fantastic and I don't think enough people play it what you want to be doing with this deck is you want to be double and triple or even quadruple spelling in a turn as soon as possible and because all of your card draw is super super cheap it means that in the early game you kind of don't mind having some of that card disadvantage if it means that you power through quick enough to be able to then cast multiple spells very quickly in a turn because they will more than pull you back to speed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's very, very good and often needs mana sinks. That's why there you'll see in the mana base there's stuff like Tyrite Sanctum and War Room and Bonders Enclave. You need things to do with your mana. And thankfully, you can put a load of different, like, utility lands into a monocolor deck because, like, this has 24 mountains. That's more than enough. You know, all the, yeah. all the other 10 lands in here do something, yep. which is fantastic. Like, it gives you such creativity with the mana base to be able to just do what you want, like, to, to add whatever you feel in here. Like, I've obviously got, I've got stuff like Rogue's Passage. I've got Scavenger Grounds, Graveyard Hate. I've mentioned the war room and all that kind of stuff to to draw cards encroaching wastes in there as land hate which is just an awful lot that 
even if you do draw lands later in the game, they still kind of do something as well. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, that's really solid. All right, so we've gone through a lot of a lot of stuff so far. Do you have any other really neat interactions or really cool tips to tell people? Um, there aren't a whole lot of like niche interactions and stuff because an awful lot of the cards kind of just do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But there are a couple of things like there's no specific artifact synergies, for example. But between some of the equipment and the mana rocks and the treasures and stuff, there could be a lot of them on board. And one thing that a lot of people I've noticed forget is the first line of text on Stormkiln Artist, where it says <laughs> they get plus one plus oh for each artifact you control. Yep. Without even realizing it, you could just give them unblockable and kill someone like very quickly. Just yep. they could be considered technically a, a backup commander i suppose in this deck <laughs> for that very reason because you do you just end up with like 10 artifacts on board and you've no need to pop the treasures or whatever or you know the the bag of holding or the zephyr boots or mana rocks you just turn them sideways and just kill someone it's super super good you do have access to a lot of onboard tricks and stuff like one of the best cards in the deck that i didn't mention is relic of progenitus so it's great to be able to run graveyard hate just without worrying about like taking up a card slot but not only is it good graveyard hate but it's a combat trick in your deck as well because you can tap it at instant speed to exile a card from your own graveyard if you want to grow Lelia and then you can pay one after that and wipe all graveyards which exiles another card from your graveyard which grows Lelia again and you draw a card so for one mana that's two counters on Lelia in completely nuked graveyards and you've replaced it by drawing a card and that's all at instant speed so you've lots of little tricks like this and again because you've so many different things in the mana base you could just hold up a load of stuff in combat and whatever's suitable at the time you can just fire off because of the likes of the mana generators like i mentioned Burgie and runaway steamkin and everything and treasure generators the aforementioned stormkill artists or unexpected windfall a number of turns can really feel like you are actually storming off but you don't necessarily need to dig as much as possible just because you have the means to. You need to kind of, like, for example, with the likes of Galvanic Relay, you might be like, okay, well, I've cast four spells. I can cast another three or four and then cast the Relay. Mm-hmm. But that might mean that you are then empty-handed. And mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want to do that. You might want to hold on to those two or three spells in hand and just cast the Galvanic Relay then and there to give you five or six cards in exile because you might not necessarily be able to play all of them the following turn. So you Mm -hmm. want to be able to make sure that you can actually get your value. So this is very much a value deck where you need to be thinking like a turn ahead and be like, if I blow all of this now, am I screwed next turn? Yeah. It's just keeping keeping tabs on your resources and knowing when not to overextend. Basically, yeah. Same, Same like philosophy with aggro decks in general, I suppose. Because all of these cards do something similar there's consistency in both the number of cards that you see in a game because of your velocity and also the quality and the function is all very level so this is one of the more consistent decks that i have it nearly always does the same thing that same thing is really cool it always feels great and yeah it's also anyone that has played against it has found it very very interesting and has often enjoyed playing against it compared to other decks because it's not trying to stop people doing anything which tends to be the thing that people don't really like Mm -hmm. but it's just an awful lot of fun yeah yeah 
you 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 are able to allow people to play their own decks and do their own things. Mm-hmm. And your deck is also able to do its own thing, which is really cool on its own, but then also apply pressure in a way that like doesn't make people salty. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I experienced when I played against it, and it was really awesome on the turns where you popped off, because you popped off multiple times, and just when you pop off, that doesn't mean that you won either. You were just yeah. able to like do something really cool and really interesting and like exiled six cards off your deck and just like go to town mm-hmm. and attack people. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the budget deck list. Uh your mm-hmm. your current one. But what kind of deck upgrades would you look into if you wanted to spend some extra money on the deck? So there's two sections of upgrades that I've put down here. One is value upgrades, and these are just all-round good cards that you can add to the deck, and they would just improve it or increase the power level. And then there's the limiter upgrades, which are ones that will make the deck significantly more focused in getting Lelia to kill everybody very quickly, I suppose, is the best way to put it. So I'll start with the value upgrades. So the obvious sort of staple that's missing here is Jessica's Will. So $22, I'm just not willing to spend $22 on a Jessica's Will right now. You're not Jessica's willing to spend $22 on it? No. No, I've just put Jessica herself in instead. Like, she'll do perfectly fine. Yeah, it's a bananas card. You know, it it just gives you a load of cards and gives you a load of mana. If you have it, put it in 100%. The other one, Deflecting Swat. We talked about this last week with the Commander Sidegrades. $30? No, thank you. I have a Bolt Bend in there. That does perfectly fine. Now... If you were adding Deflecting Swat, you wouldn't replace Bolt Bend with it. You would just have both in here. Yep. But, yeah, it's just also very, very good. And then the next one, Valakut Awakening. It's really, really good. I'll probably end up putting this in. I want to test it myself. Because, like you said earlier, the MDFCs are just absolutely bananas. So, yeah. Yeah, and Valakut Awakening is one of the better ones, in my opinion. Yeah, it's incredible. And then finally, Shadow Sphere gives Lifelink and Trample to your already ridiculous commander. So, yeah, but at the same time, that's also $20, so... I mean, and and notably, it gives you a way in red to get rid of Hexproof and Indestructible, which you often don't have access to, which is also another really cool, like, niche effect for the deck. Very true, yep. And then when it comes to the limiter upgrades, so Ruby Medallion is $27, and is an artifact that reduces all red spells by one generic that would make this deck actually feel like a storm deck which is not a bad thing but that one card alone when that hits the board with a deck like this watch out you're probably going to die like it significantly increases the power level of this deck same with commander's play because if you put that onto Lelia and then the only thing that she can be hit by is red, and that tends to be damage-based <laughs> removal, and she's yep. going to be enormous. Like, everyone's just going to have a bad time. So, there's that too. The other card, and this is a weird one, is Phyrexian Devourer. It okay. is a bizarre card. It's $22 from Alliances. It's a 6-mana 1-1 one, one artifact creature. Yep, that, that, that's from Alliances. Mm-hmm. Yep, six yep. mana, one, one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, it's, and it says, when Phyrexian Devourer's power is seven or greater, sacrifice it. And it has an activated ability. 
Exile the top card of your library to put X plus one plus one counters on Phyrexian Devourer where X is the exiled card's mana value. So, I think you can see where this is going. You can just exile the top card of your library one at a time, and for every one that you do, that grows Lelia. And if you're attacking somebody and you have, say, a commander's plate on Lelia and the Phyrexian Devourer out, they're dead. They're just dead. You yep. trade you trade a handful of cards from your deck for eliminating an opponent. That's yeah. essentially all this does. This is a basically a guaranteed one shot if when this is on the board. Yeah. So that's spooky. Yeah, it's not really the kind of game I want to be playing. So even if I had like a higher budget for this, I would probably just put the money into, you know, red fetches or something instead because I don't want to have that kind of game where I'll just insta one kill, one one hit kill like one opponent like that. It just doesn't feel fantastic. Yeah. You know, you, can, you can absolutely do that fun. if you want, but yeah. The way the way it works at the moment is it's just fun. It's enjoyable, you know. So, that's my deck. Um yeah, that solid is, deck. I that, really like it. Yeah, it's 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 probably my favorite of all time at the moment. As far as decks go, this is probably one of the more interesting and powerful ones for the cost. Even though it's a, a monocolor deck, which is kind of weird, because yep. if if I'm not mistaken, you kind of you're of the opinion that you know multiple colors are often easier to build on a budget, right? Yeah, my, and my thought process with that is. So I, I think, just the first blanket statement of it is, mm-hmm. I think if you're building on a budget, three-color decks will be better to build for you. And my reason for that is you can do kind of what I did with Omnath, where you can kind of skimp on the mana base. You can play some tap lands and then load up on your basics. But then also, if each color has a certain number of cards that you would consider budget staples, Mm. the fewer colors you have access to, the less budget staples you have access to. Mm. And so you need to balance that with having access to budget cards, but also not breaking the bank with your mana base. And I think that intersection is at three colors because when you go to four, like even, even... with what we were talking about with Omnath. Green is the best way to color fix. Mm-hmm. And so if you're making a non-green... Like a Brea deck on a budget, you're going to have a really difficult time with just the mana base alone because you won't have the ways to fix. In any of the, the green four-color decks, it'll be easier, but you're still balancing four colors, which can be hard. A couple months ago, Scott, we were talking about like building you a budget deck and you were like oh like i I don't know uh like do a teamer deck and so i threw together uh teamer surak with a karuga companion and i Mm. think i was able to get that under 50 dollars, if i'm not mistaken i it was it was just easy because i could take the best budget cards out of red blue and green And just put them together, and the mana base didn't suffer that much. Yeah, there were more tapped lands, but I could also load myself up on basics. It becomes a little harder, like, if you were building a Mardu deck, or a Grixis deck, or any, like, non-green deck. But it still isn't impossible, and I would prefer to have the, the, the bigger pool of budget cards as opposed to just a monocolor deck or a two-color deck, if... I didn't know what deck I was going to build. I would almost always start at three colors. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree. I'm used to building an awful lot of, like, one or two color decks, and mm-hmm. that's just because that's the way that I like to play. I like to, you know, lean heavily into one or two colors to be able to highlight their strengths and weaknesses and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But if I wanted to make life easy for myself, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. I would just go, uh, so start with green and then add the other colors <laughs> that I want to play with. Yep. And then I'm going to have a grand old time making, a, like you said, like between 50 and $100 is going to get you a solid, solid deck. Yeah. You know, for sure. All right. So that's it. They are the two decks, Omnath, Locus of Creation, and Lelia, the Blade Reforged. Uh, let us know on Twitter what you think of these decks. Um, let let us know who won. Did yeah, I beat let, Scott? I, I was, I was going to say, I was going to say, like, <laughs> let us let us know who won, I suppose. Like, <laughs> I know we call this a brew-off, but, like, I didn't come into this with, like, a competitive mindset of, like, um, all right, who's going to have the better deck? I, I, but, I came to, to spike the brew-off. <laughs> Ah, uh, here we go. <laughs> Alright. Well, you know what? Let's move over to the Q&A then. Budget Emma, it's your turn. You're up. Oi, Gov, I'm on it. <laughs> so, Anton, at All Hail Bolus on Twitter, asks, mm-hmm. Is red so cool and spicy that you lads have to play blue in order to dampen the heat? Well, I think Lelia has proven the answer to that to be No. Mono red is perfectly spicy and cool by itself. Uh, for me, not only do I need blue, but I need white because I can't handle spicy foods because I'm a baby. So I need two colors to dampen the heat. <laughs> and then also they ask, why is Angelo such a man of culture and likes Gonti too? Well, it's because I'm a man of culture. And any man of culture, or woman, or any individual of culture, would also like Gonti. Scott, do you like Gonti? I really like Anton's Gonti deck, actually. I really like that. But do you like Gonti? Gonti's cool. Gonti's cool. Okay. But I want to say, Anton has a a budget Gonti deck that I played Mm -hmm. with on Scrap Trawlers. Well, played against on Scrap Trawlers. And (laughs) the entire deck is built around nothing but... Playing and replaying Gonti yep. over and over and over again. Like, li- and I, when I say nothing else, I mean literally nothing else. He has 69 lands in the deck, specifically nice. so that when people say that, they say nice. Yes. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, do- it does mean that he gets to run a load of uh, different like utility lands and stuff. But it's just really cool. It's just really, really cool. It's just like my deck does one very specific thing. He sits in the command zone. And that is it. That is yep. absolutely it. Just ways to recur Gonti and then stuff like, you know, bone shards or whatever to like sacrifice Gonti, but use like Malakir Rebirth or whatever to just yep. get it back immediately. That kind of stuff. It's really cool. It's basically playing other people's decks. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, Gonti's great. Evie the Mage at Evie the Mage 97 on Twitter wanted to let us know that they were tuning their Primacon Flyers deck last night and for less than a dollar. Jeskai Ascendancy and Flying Crane Technique seem like fun, powerful spells that you can use to close out games of EDH. And there's also a second part, but before I get to that, I just want to say that I feel like this is pandering to me, and I'm on to you. (laughs) They're good calls, Evie. Don't mind them. Yeah, they are. Jeskai Ascendancy (laughs) is great. Uh, That said... What are some lesser-known commander cards that have worked wonders for the two of you? Scott, would you like to go first, or do you want me to? Uh, I've got two, actually, in my head. Okay. Got it. And there's... there's, I just realized there's actually a theme between the two. 
<laughs> and that's kind of cycling. Uh, so the first one is Step Through. Step Through is from Modern Horizons 2, is three blue-blue for a sorcery that reads, return up to two target creatures to their owner's hands. But it has wizard cycling for two. So at instant speed, for two mana, you can tutor up a wizard, and it's uncounterable. Now, that doesn't sound all that fantastic until you go and do a scryfall search for wizards <laughs> that are legal yep. in Commander, and then you sort them by EDH rec rank, and you see the ridiculous wizards that are available. You can get, like, Viscera Seers, you can get Dual Caster Mages, you can get Archmage Emeritus, you can get, like, all sorts. Absolutely all sorts. I use it in my Octavia deck because it can tutor up basically any of the token makers, like I said, Archmage Emeritus, or nearly any single creature in the deck. It is absolutely fantastic. And, like, granted, you know, five mana to return two creatures to their hands, their owner's hands, is not amazing, but it is another option. So there could be a circumstance where that is good and can be used, but for the most part, a two mana uncounterable tutor that gets very specific pieces is really, really cool. And the other one is Barrier Breach from Ikoria. It's two and a green, and it says exile up to three target enchantments, and it has cycling for two as well. So exiling enchantments, really, really powerful. There yep. are a number of things that you might really need to get rid of. Like if your opponent has a Heliod out, you need to be able to exile that somehow. That's one of the best ways to do it. Um, but the thing is, if you don't need it, you just cycle it. It's totally fine. It's like Wilt, yep. in my opinion. Like, it is It is yeah. like that. We were talking about this before the, the cast, you, Angelo, were saying that, like, mm. you know, if stuff like Disenchant and everything sees play, like, Wilt is just better. And yep. in certain circumstances... <laughs> Should have been a white card. Yeah. And, and, in, <laughs> and in certain circumstances, Barrier Breach is just a better version of it. Yeah. Uh, it gets so. rid of pesky and destructible enchantment gods. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um, on you? my end, I, I also have two. I know that I mentioned one before the cast when we were going over this question, but I thought of another one. But the first one I want to mention is Skull Collector, which mm-hmm. is a mainstay in my Ganti deck. Mm-hmm. And Skull Collector is a 3-3 for 1 and 2 black. And it's a, I believe it's a an Ogre Shaman. And it reads, at the beginning of your upkeep, return a black creature you control to its owner's hand. And then for one and a black, regenerate. And what's great about Skull Collector is it is a very difficult to kill way to continue bouncing Gonti every turn. Mm. And in the deck, the, the deck has a bunch of other ETBs too. So like Ravenous Chupacabra or uh, Noxious Gear Hulk. Any of those cards with really good ETB effects, I can bounce them back to my hand. I can bounce Gandhi back to my hand. Skull Collector is just awesome. It really helps the deck tick. The second one is in my Jeru deck, which is Honor Worn Shaku, which is mm. a three mana artifact, also from Kamigawa Block. It taps for one generic mana, but if you tap a legendary permanent you control, mm-hmm. you can untap it. And so in Jeru, I'm able to tap all of my walkers to then produce extra mana. But there are plenty of other really good legendary permanents, whether they're creatures, artifacts, enchantments, etc. That can be used with Shaku to tap and untap. And at worst, 
it's just a three mana rock. At at one extra legend, it becomes an untapped one power stone, and then for more more legends, you just start producing three, four, five mm-hmm. mana every turn, which is awesome. Nice. So Emma, hello Gov, on the oh. BMcast Discord server asks. Wait, who? What? <laughs> what is your favorite card that you don't play enough of in your decks? Oh, run away together. I Ooh. love that card. I absolutely love that card. I think it's criminally underrated, massively underplayed, even by myself. Like, I, I find that, like, for me, it's one of those cards that I should basically start most builds that involve blue with. But yep. I just keep forgetting it. And then when I have the deck done and I'm playing with it and I'm like, yeah, great, this is brilliant. Then I remember it and I have to try and find a slot for it now. And that's way harder than just starting with it in the first place. And I'm a huge advocate for this card, but I keep forgetting about it. Yeah, um, on my end, I, I don't really know, honestly. Like, because usually I just, I, I'm, I'm like, if I really want a card, I just, I find the slot for it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't have a whole lot of, uh cards that i don't include but i don't know i'd say mdfc's because sometimes i just want to put more in and i can't find the slot like play more mdfc's <laughs> agree to be fair yeah. <laughs> the joe cheney on the bmcast discord server asks uh this one's a multi-parter uh as well what is your least favorite color combo and why i think we i think we answered this a couple episodes ago when i was on two possibly and, and I think if I if I'm remembering properly, we all said some combination of Selesnia or Naya. Am I correct? Do you not I like th- Naya? I can't vibe with Naya whatsoever. See, um, bam. I like if I had to pick one, it would probably be Selesnia. If I had a choice of an additional one, it would probably be Gruel. Mm. Um, just because the thing I noticed with Gruel, right, is red is awesome, green is obviously awesome and powerful. But when yep. they're put together, it feels like Gruel just wants to utilize Green's ramping ability and that kind of thing to be able to do Gruel stuff as opposed to red stuff or green stuff. It's just yep. Gruel stuff. And it just feels like they kind of just meld together and make a... It feels like they take the, the, the raw aspects of both and put them together and it, it, it just doesn't feel refined and I know that that's kind of like a gruel philosophy thing sort of but it just really doesn't vibe with me at all understandable yeah. um yeah mine is Naya Selesnia I I drive with wedges way more than I do with shards just in general like mm. the only shard that I particularly like is Grixis all the other mm. ones I'm just like eh they're kind of boring but uh all the wedges except Saltai I'm like yeah I'm in there. Seems great. So, second part. Do you feel fatigue from the release schedule of new sets? Uh, I'll, I'll take this real quick. Yeah. Go on. I don't, only because I felt fatigue when Eternal Masters came out five years ago with Eldritch Moon, when they started putting out products. And by this point, my fatigue has just become normal. I'm now <laughs> desensitized to the product fatigue, okay. and it's just how things work nowadays. I, I'm, I'm so used to it that I don't complain about it on Twitter. That's my <laughs> secret. I'm always tired. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, 
I would kind of agree, only I, I, I don't feel fatigued from it at all, personally. Like, mm-hmm. because, again, a little pull-back-the-curtain kind of moment. The more product that Wizards put out, the less thinking I have to do with making content. Because if there's, like... And I know, that's, I know that sounds, like, lazy or whatever, but, like, it takes a lot to make content, right? It takes a lot of effort to make content. And if you're sitting there where there's, like, you know, three months between releases... And you're sitting there on like month one and a half and you're like, there's still like six weeks to go before we get any previews. And I have to think of stuff to do between now and then. That takes up an awful lot of your time. And you get stressed about it because you don't know what to do. And you know you have to think of something, but you can't think of something. So you get worked up about it. However, when they're just hurling everything at you as fast as possible, you're like, okay, so this week I'm going to do, you know, roundup of all the new budget inclusions and then I'm going to do a deck tech on this new legendary that's come out and then I'm going to do this thing and then I'm going to do that thing and you can almost apply like a template to it so that you don't have to worry about what you're doing in a couple of weeks time which is both good for creators because it means that you have more time to focus on you know life or the content and it's really good for people that consume the content as well because you know that there's a specific level of consistency that's going to happen with all this content so it's going to maintain a very specific level of of minimum quality Mm -hmm. so as much as we love to complain about it i guarantee you the majority of creators even the ones that complain about it are secretly very thankful because they have to put less brain work into the logistics part of it and can put more brain work into the actual quality side of it. That's my opinion on it. So what you're saying is preview season full, head empty. Yeah, and I think that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last part, what's your favorite 90s or 80s anime? Um, Well... I got more into anime in the 2000s, so mm-hmm. I don't have a whole lot of the older ones to reference here, but I'm going to go with a safe choice. I'm going to go with Cowboy Bebop, because it is one of the greats. It's fantastic, and it's from that era, so there you go. Yeah, I, I too, had, like grew up with anime late, like later mm-hmm. in my years. Uh, I mean, later in my developmental years, so like... <laughs> You know, mid to late 2000s. Um, And, I mean, technically, Naruto was in the 90s, I think. You know, like, at least the manga was. JoJo's was in the 80s, but, you know, the the anime uh, didn't come out until, I think, like, 2010 or 2011. Like, Mm -hmm. my my default choice would have to be DBZ, because I think that's really the only one that I consistently watched that was from the 90s. Mm. But um, there are plenty of, like, older manga that, I, the, like, the popular ones that I am well-versed with, but the anime didn't come until later. Gotcha. So. Okay. Yeah. And then the last one, Nerblin on the BMCast Discord server asks... Mm-hmm. What's your favorite basic land art? Uh, I don't really have one because, well, for two reasons. One, it's entirely based on the deck that they're going into. Second of all, I don't care about basic lands until I care about the deck. So, for example, I have a Sir Conrad deck that I just put all the swamps that I have available in there. And that's how the mana base is. It's just whatever swamps were lying around. But I do have at least a certain level of consistency. Like, they'll either be all full arts or no full arts. You know, I don't want to have, like, a weird mix like that. But 
when I do start to care about a deck, for example, my Twiddlestorm deck, it's all the Theros Beyond Death Islands, you know, because it looks good in that deck. Mm-hmm. Or if, for example, like my Hollow One deck from Modern, that uses the Amonkhet Full Arts because it seems to kind of fit and it looks nice, you know. So I'm not particularly picky about them until I've decided, like, this is a deck I'm keeping around and then I'll just pick one that suits the style of the rest of the deck. So I don't mm-hmm. really have a specific favorite, I don't think. See, while I have a similar land deck building style to you where, like, I'll pick lands for the decks, mm. I have multiple favorite lands. So, like, there's one specific Zebra Plains from Mirage. Mm-hmm. Love that. Has a zebra on it. I'm in. <laughs> there's the the Lightning Mountain from Jumpstart, yeah. which I think is really cool. As someone who likes Raymond Swanland, I am very prone to liking spiky things. There are the Chippy Esperlands, which mm. are always great. I love those. There's the Jeskai Lands from Khans, which show different Jeskai monasteries in the background. And then just various full arts. I really like the Amonkhet full arts. The the snow full arts are awesome because you see each land in the next one. So, like, mm-hmm. in the plains, you see the, the island. And then the island, you see the swamp. Like, yeah. just off in the background. And that's really cool. So, I don't have a specific, like, favorite. But there are plenty of them that really stick out to me. Nice. Thank you for listening to us here at the BMcast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Nicholas Martin, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, Christopher McCarthy, Tom Telford, Anton Clement, Edward Whitney, and Jamie Coyle. And at the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, a nice planeswalker, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, and Mickey Paris. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck. All right, so before we jump into card of the week, sorry. All right, so... You, are you quite okay there? That, that noise, that's such a, like, a good blooper at any point.